Hi, who just joined? Oh, hey, this is Felicia. Great, I'm ready to get started. Who, who just joined? Oh, hey, it's me. Who, who's me? Uh, hey, hey, hon, can you preheat the oven? What? Turn your, turn your, the mute on your microphone. When are we getting started? In, in just a second. Uh, hold on, I need to put you on hold. This is a hot mess. I just wanted to play D&D. This week on Becoming DM, we're talking about running games from exile, using virtual tabletops to run your game when you can't meet in person. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And before we really get into it this week, uh, we just want to let you know that we are, for the first time ever, recording remotely from each other because we're both uh, within our stay-at-home ordinance for our county, so we're not able to see each other in person. So if it sounds a little bit different quality-wise, that may be why. We're doing our best to try and make sure that it uh, it stays up to par, though. It is a little uh, interesting trying this this way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but let's go ahead and and get into it. This this time we are talking about running that virtual game uh, using a virtual tabletop software or something else. Mm-hmm. And um, and you and I both recently had the opportunity to to do this to uh, run a game that would normally be in person online. And let's let's talk about it. So first things first, uh, choosing your platform. And I, I used a couple of different platforms. But what did what did you use, Felicia, when you when you played? Um, I just kind of kept it straightforward. I stuck with Roll20 just because that seemed to be the most popular platform that people were utilizing. So, Yep, yep. I, I used Roll20 for one of my games. Uh, for another one, I used Astral Tabletop, which is uh, it's a different type of platform, but it still is a, that virtual tabletop gives you that battle board experience over the internet. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of put this out there, there's a lot of different options. So really do your research and make sure that the thing that you're choosing is right for your game. Because each one of these platforms has something a little bit different than the others. Uh, For instance, Roll20, the reason I went with that for one of my games was because it had access to a lot of the rules for both Pathfinder and D&D from within within the the Roll20 interface. And a lot of my players don't have their own rule books. So that was really handy for me. I think, yeah, the the resources and community app um, options within Roll20 were also kind of nice little add-ons for me as well. Yep. And from an from an astral tabletop perspective, the reason that I went with that one was because in that game, I had players that didn't have an actual computer. They were playing from a tablet. And the mobile experience for astral tabletop was, uh, in my opinion, much better than what I saw in Roll20. They were able to move their token around. Mm-hmm. It was pretty seamless from from that to the to the desktop experience. Yeah. And I know also, you know, when you are using one of these platforms, you know, is is also to consider other programs that you might end up utilizing along with them. Because, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's more common often than not that like you only use Roll20. Most people end up using more than one platform or program to to kind of um, end up like running their entire games. So like, you know, we were talking before, when we were doing Roll20 that we also use Discord in addition to Roll20 because the audio and chat features of Discord were a lot better than what we had experienced on Roll20 all by itself. Yeah, and we used uh, we used uh, Skype meeting for our Roll20 game and we used Discord for our Astral Tabletop game. Mm-hmm. 
Um, some people I've seen are using WebEx or Zoom if yep. they have access to that. So it's really a matter of, of understanding what the needs of your game are mm -hmm. and choosing the right tools. So definitely do a little bit of research there to understand what, what's going what's gonna to be the best. Yeah, logistics and, and implementation are really important and not just for you as, as the DM, but obviously for your players as well. You know, um, we were talking about this before, like do your players have headsets? Do your players have one screen or two screens? Like you mentioned before for Astral, you know, are they playing on um, an iPad or something or is it actual, uh, you know, at-home computer? Those are the things to, if you know the players that you're playing with, those are important things to consider before you start um, deciding which platform to use. Absolutely. And and the, the headset thing is super important. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. I don't want to get, get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> uh, but one of those things when you're choosing the tools, if you, if you are using, for instance, Discord and Roll20, make sure that your, uh, your players know how to either not enable the audio channel on one or how to disable it if they did enable it. <laughs> and I think you have a story around that, right? Yeah. So um, I had first experienced Roll20 as a player before I tried doing a game myself and in the game that I had played in Roll20 was there was one girl in our our group who we um so this particular game was that we were using the map making and the rolling features of Roll20 but we were doing our audio and our chat in Discord and she had her microphone on in Roll20 and her microphone on in Discord. So every time she talked, it was like this blaring echo. And she couldn't figure out how to turn one off so that she could just use Discord's microphone. And it was a whole like 15 minutes of like, turn it off, turn it off. What? No. Can you hear this? <laughs> it's echoing. Stop it. I'm picturing like it this. Was this, this, was this I'm whole picturing thing. like this. Thank you, New York. Like concert vibe thing as you get the reverb <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> it kind of was. I should have done like the audience in the valley, like, wah, wah. <laughs> but, but since we're talking about making sure that your players are prepped, I think that really gets us really well into the next topic is which, which is get familiar with the platform. If you're going to do this yeah. online, make sure that you as the DM are familiar with the platform before you even get a player on, on there with you. Yeah, it is definitely not. I mean, I'm, again, I'm only speaking from Roll20, but I did not get the impression that these types of gaming, uh, you know, platforms are ones that you want to try and just wing it. No, because they, they're all of them are doing so much. You're, you've got the, the map designer, you've got the tokens, mm -hmm. you've got character sheets and all of these things that are integrated. So yes, sure, they, they're going to try and make it as user-friendly as possible, but there's only so much you can do when you, when you pack so much functionality into it. So advice from me is really make sure that you go through and go through that the tutorial. Most of them I've seen have tutorials that you can go through. Um, I did not go through the Roll20 tutorial at first, and I spent a day on it. I said, oh, this is terrible. I'm not using this. And I went and played around with some other stuff, <laughs> came back and did the tutorial. And actually, that's, that's been my preference of the ones that I've used so far. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I also thought that I could dive headfirst into the platform without needing the tutorials. Um, I was like, tutorials, who needs them? <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I definitely realized a humbling experience that, yeah, the tutorials are definitely something to utilize. Yeah. Um, and 
to that, if you have a couple of devices at home that, that will work on the platform of choice, I, I recommend logging in as both the, both the mm-hmm. DM and the and and a player in the in the same game at the same time so that you can see what both experience is like yeah and when you do things as a dm what it looks like to the player um so that it's not mm-hmm. i think that this is what the player is going to see but i'm not sure so that's smart it, it's really that experience thing i think i i think i kind of went about that same like intention but probably more long-winded and difficult because i played as a player and then i played as a dm <laughs> and i obviously could have just done two birds one stone (laughs) (laughs) well you got to see how somebody else ran it right so you kind of like learn from the mistakes hopefully (laughs) it kind of it was actually kind of a really good experience i i was i'm kind of in retrospect sort of grateful because the dm that did our game was also very new to roll 20 so sort of seeing the the challenges that he was experiencing as like a first time roll 20 dm was something that, okay, like for me, all right, now I know what to expect. You know, this might be something that I too will struggle with because I'm new to this and, oh, mental note, this is something that I need to take note of. Because if I were playing a game, uh, you know, of a DM that knew exactly what they were doing, it would have been a lot seamless, but I don't necessarily know if I would have gotten as many like learned lessons from it. Yeah, and just because you are experienced as a DM, you have years and years of experience, does not mean that you're going to know Roll20 like the back of your hand. Uh, they are totally different skill exactly, sets. Exactly, yeah. And, and really, mm-hmm. um, my recommendation is approach it like we've recommended for new DMs to approach it. Uh, learn the stuff that you need to know. Learn the yeah. core things. There's a lot of gidgets and gadgets and who's it's and what's it's uh, that are in the platform. You don't have to know how everything works. Oh, no, uh, no, no. You need to know what the things that are important to your game are that work. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it's kind of like like you were saying, in-person D&D like, or in-person role-playing, you know, Pathfinder D&D. You know, you don't need to know every single rule in the rule book. You don't need to know every single stat, every spell. Like, could you imagine how overwhelming yeah. that would be? <laughs> um, and <sighs> and then also like a new DM, leverage player knowledge. Because uh, in, in any game, it's there is a chance mm. that you may have a player that has played Roll20 before. I was actually uh, very... Uh, it had very good luck in that one of my players had played with other games in Roll20. And so he was doing some stuff mm. in the interface and like doing the ping thing where you press, you click and hold and it, a little circle appeared. Hold, yeah. So, well, how'd you do that? And he quickly told me, but leverage that that body of knowledge that other other people have that are at your table as well. Yeah. And that's, and, and the thing to keep, uh, you know, to keep in mind as a DM is, you know, you may not have to know everything, but definitely, you know, whether it's through utilizing someone who's more experienced or whether it's through prior research yourself, you know, anything that you can use as a resource to help better, you know, the gaming experience for your players is really important because, you know, you're going to do them a real disservice if you don't do that preparation ahead of time. And there's so much time that will be wasted on logistics like we had spent and this is my fault because I didn't research ahead of time but I was telling you before about how much time it took for us to figure out how tokens worked because (laughs) I didn't really bother to do my research ahead of time and if I I had I would have been able to save us that you know 15 20 minutes of like oh how do you do the tokens wait where what how do you turn this on and oh how do you take this away and oh look this is how you can move them like it was just even just creating the tokens like it was just an oversight on my part because it was just something that I just 
didn't bother to really look into. And that was definitely a lesson learned, you know. And when you're utilizing the map feature um, mm-hmm. in Roll20, then, you know, those tokens obviously become a very important part. Um, so, <laughs> so lesson learned to me, little smack on the hand, <laughs> make your tokens. Well, and, and to that, getting, getting some time with your players before you actually have your session can be really beneficial. And mm-hmm. I had, uh, I left it open for most of my players. I said, Hey, I need you to log in before this date so that I can get a character assigned to you so that you can edit all the character sheet stuff and stuff like that. And I, I left it at that for most of them. One or one yeah. or two of my players mm-hmm. said, yeah, I, this is great, but I, I'd really like to understand what I'm doing better. And I really should have done this for everybody. But I, I got into the system with them and I, I kind of went through the icons that were in their interface and said, this is where you find this. This is where you find that. And mm-hmm. uh, those players were definitely more prepared mm-hmm. as well as the one that had already done Roll20. Um, so that made the experience a lot, a lot better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, I mean, it sounds like it, it probably would have made that experience better for you as well. Yeah, it probably would have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, is whether you're working with brand new players you've never met um, or you're working with your group, you know, again, unless you know, someone in your group specifically that is very familiar with the platform, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, you're going to have to expect that a lot of the questions and a lot of, you know, the expectations is going to be that you're going to be the one guiding the group because Mm -hmm. again, you're the DM. So again, like you were saying, walking, you're going to have to have the expectation that you're going to be the one walking them through it, um, getting their characters set up, getting their tokens set up, um, you know, creating a, a, a character sheet if needed for that player, um, all of that is is still on you, and so therefore, just that much more obligatory for you as a DM that like, hey, knowledge is power, so know it. Yeah, and and it, it just it just makes your game run so much smoother. Just having it really having does. everybody understand what's going on. It's, it's just like having the players know some of the basic rules of D anD D as you play a D anD D game or Pathfinder yes. or whatever, and not having to look it up in the book every time, right? <laughs> Exactly. And and the thing is, like, you know, it's good to also pay attention to, like, the smaller details. Like, again, the token is a good example of something that kind of fell through the cracks for me. But another thing that I did not anticipate was, you know, when you're creating a, a campaign that you're going to be doing on Roll20, you know, there's a little feature that you can say yay or nay to as far as, like, welcoming new players. And I didn't pay attention. And I just didn't, I don't know if I like I left it ticked or if I accidentally ticked it, but either way, like I, I left it so that it had the welcome new players option was open mm. for my group. So when I did, cause it was meant to be for a select number of people. And then when I, I left it for welcome to new players and obviously it wasn't a pay to play campaign. I just got like overwhelmed with like the amount of people that wanted to play my campaign and it was like, you know, 25 going on 30 plus people. And I'm like, ah, no, this is not, <laughs> this was not what I meant to happen. And, uh, I mean, you, you have run some pretty large games. Did you just accept them all and go with it? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> you know, I can handle 30. Why not? It's like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah. So, and, and it got me, you know, to, into looking more into the culture of, of Roll20 in that, like, you know, if you are playing with, you know, someone that's not in your group, like how the whole process works, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But it was just one of those things where like when you're setting up your campaign, just make sure you go over it 
you know, um, don't just give it a cursory glance, you know, make sure that you've paid attention to all of your preferences and all of your filters so that you don't inadvertently um, do something that might sabotage your game. Yeah. And, and some of those settings uh, are, are, are just uh, mechanically are going to have a, an outcome like you experience where you just have a bunch of people coming mm. in. Uh, some of them will have, I'm flattered. Yeah, some of them will have uh, performance, uh, performance uh, impact. So, for instance, we were playing Roll20 and, and had the, the 3D dice rolls enabled where you got to see the dice roll on the table and stuff like that. It's a, like, hey, cool experience. It feels like we're rolling dice. But by enabling that, it made the dice rolls significantly slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm sure that, that a lot of it is that Roll20 is experiencing a massive amount of people using their service. And so um, <laughs> that, that response is tied to, tied to that as well. But by disabling that, we got the roles to come up a lot more quick in the roll 20 chat and it it Mm -hmm. made it made the game move along a lot quicker. Yeah. And those are definitely things to, to keep in mind. Um, you know, we discovered that when we were trying to use, um, audio on roll 20, it just kept, it would lag or like audio would get stuck, either wouldn't play or it get stuck playing forever and we couldn't turn it off. And eventually that's why, you know, we're like, okay, we're moving over to discord. Um, but yeah, like it's like you were saying, like, you know, sometimes it's just the mechanics of it. You've got to figure yep. out what works for you. So um, let's go ahead and move on and talk about player engagement, because mm-hmm. if you're taking a game that you've run in person and then you're migrating the, into this into this online forum, it is definitely a different experience and it can be uh a little bit difficult to maintain the same level of player engagement as, as your in-person game. Yeah. You're in person, like somebody's not paying attention. You slap them around and, and they're, they're paying attention again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Smack them over the head. Uh, but, but with, with your online games, it, somebody could feasibly while you're running the game, get up and go get a bag of potato chips or whatever. Uh, and, yep. and unless you're doing something like video, you wouldn't ever know. It's just like, Oh, Hey, uh, I, hey, so-and-so, are you there? <laughs> <laughs> so some of the ways that that uh, that I would recommend, and, and you probably have some thoughts too, to in- improve that engagement, mm. um, first off is don't display a battle map all the time. Because yeah. a lot of the thing for these tabletop simulators is they have the gridded map so you can put your tokens, move them around in battle and things like that. But if you're not in battle and you have a battle map up there, uh, oftentimes I found it makes people really still be in that I'm ready for combat mode. I'm going to go and and smack somebody around, cleave their head off with my axe or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that reduces the chances that they're going to do role playing things and, and investigative stuff rather than just bash your way through things. Yeah. Uh, So go ahead. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to say, yeah, the, I I know the one game that I played was more of a like murder mystery, exploratory mansion kind of, um, kind of experience. So the the map that we had up was obviously just, you know, exploring the mansion, figuring out what happened, Mm -hmm. things like that. So I think that particular case, you know, they just, they had the map up for the sake of reference of, you know, where we were and what we were investigating. Um, we didn't actually, well, no, there, I think there was one, once or twice we had a confrontation of like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. dodging the killer or something like that. But, um, 
I think, you know, in those cases where you're exploring something, then I guess it might behoove you to, to keep your map visible. Right. Absolutely. I'm thinking more like you're in town and, and you're at the tavern. Mm-hmm. You don't need to necessarily throw up a map of the tavern unless there's something important that they need to explore there. Instead, you could throw up a picture that should yeah. depicts the town or a map of the region or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, just making nice. that break from you're not in combat anymore to 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 you are in combat and having those kind of be a little bit separate. I like the idea of running a, a murder mystery in, in Roll20. Was it was it a lot of fun? It was fun. It really was. And it, like those of us that got taken out, like we didn't know that we got taken out. And so it was like, oh, you're dead. <laughs> I was like, no, I got shot in the back of the head, unfortunately. You didn't survive. I did not. I was in the middle of singing a very inspirational song and then I got taken out. So maybe it was the song that got you taken out. It was Eye of the Tiger. I was trying to be supportive. We've all been there. You're coming off a weekend of playing your favorite role-playing game, only to look at the calendar in weeks ahead to see nothing. Your group couldn't find a date to meet until next month. Have no fear. Darkwind's got you covered. You can sign in for free anytime at play.darkwind.org. Do you have a hankering to build a necromancer and use your undead army to take down angels in the Hall of Worlds? Or maybe you prefer lycanthropy and you'd like to join the Garu Guild. Darkwind has character options for days, so whatever your playstyle, there's something for you. They're sponsoring this show and helping make it happen, so give them a try by going to play.darkwind.org. Now back to the show. All right, so um, another along the lines of improving engagement, we kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit. But having your players in, uh, put put video, uh, use the video capabilities of whatever platform you decide to use. And I mean, this is first off, so you can see each other, make sure that you're, you're in the chairs, but it's also so you can get those facial expressions. You can kind of get more than just the verbal intonation. In, in the games that, that you were involved in, did you use video at all? No, we um, we did not use video. We only used um, audio in Discord, which, you know, like I said, I think it would have been really fun to have had that option of video. But um, I think our DM at the time was just trying to keep it simple. I think you know, he was still trying to learn the mechanics and stuff, too. So, yeah, still fun. Yep. Uh, and and that, that kind of goes to another thing that I think we're maybe going to talk about later, maybe not, uh, is mm. making sure that, that, that whatever <laughs> path you choose for maybe requiring video or, or doing audio in a certain way, you do need mm. to make sure that your players have the appropriate things that they're able to participate in whatever way you're hoping to go. And if they can't, you might need to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, assuming that you know who your players are going to be. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, any um, any other, other thoughts on improving engagement? Actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, one little tidbit that I did actually appreciate from the game that I played um, was that the DM had it so that the there were seven of us total. Um, and the seven of us that were in the game um, in Discord, he had everyone change their names to their character names. Oh, nice. Um, so that, you know, when we knew who was talking, we we're like, oh, okay, so and so is talking or chatting or whatever. Um, and then each of us put like a little one liner, two liner um, description of our characters. It was really simple. Like, you know, for me, it was half elf bard who liked to sing funny songs or something like that. Um, 
So it was it was nice because then we had that reference. So at least when I was seeing the list of names, you know, I could tell who was talking or I could tell at least like, oh, mm-hmm. it's so and so. Okay, yeah, you're the dwarf. So um it was it was nice to have that visual reference. And and to that, uh one of the th- things that I try to make sure that I do is uh, refer to players by their character name. And I, I try to do this when we game in person as well, but I, I think it's even more important when you're doing this virtual game yeah. to to just keep everybody in the mindset that, oh yeah, I'm not I'm not Clay, I'm Unglar. Um, <laughs> exactly. um refer to them by their name and 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 if you have especially if you have NPCs interacting with them and they know their name, have them refer to them by name because <laughs> why would they refer to them by their player yes. name? <laughs> And go from there. Yeah. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, I was actually really fortunate. The group that I played with, the Murder Mystery, was actually a really fun group. Everyone had a voice. Um, they all kind of really got into character. Um, you know, we had like one that... Oh, like they, they've, they've had like a character voice. Yes. So like, oh, cool. you know, they had like a really snooty, snobby, like... You know, uh, it was, it was, a. I want to say it was, um, it was the other elf bard. So there was another elf bard in my group and we were having like a bard off on who could like <laughs> sing better songs. And he was really snobby though. And he would like throw wine at the servants and it was really funny seeing him get into character. And then, you know, we had one who had a voice. He was a half, I think it was half orc. And so he made his voice like Gollum the whole time. And it was it was a really fun group, and uh, it was it was really good. And we were trying to like I want to say serenade a couple of guards, and so everyone started singing Backstreet Boys, and it was it was a fun group. Wow! If you can really get your players involved like that, that is that is I have to I have to say that's impressive, um, especially if it's a group of yeah. players that don't know each other. Um, yeah, none of us knew each other. Great. Uh, so another another yeah. thing to make sure of as far as improving engagement is make sure that you take breaks regularly. Yeah, of course. Uh, it, yeah. It's really easy to uh to since you're sitting in front of a computer screen just sitting there and and you don't have these people that are like physically in front of you. It's it's easy to get distracted and just while away the time playing playing the game mm-hmm. but you, you really need to and and if if necessary set yourself a timer so you can say hey it's it's been it's been a couple hours why don't we why don't we take a break i'm gonna mm-hmm. go get a drink or whatever and and make sure that everybody gets up and stretches or does whatever because if you take a break and they just sit there that's that's gonna be i think in the long term not good for your game as well yeah, I mean, this is basic ergonomics anyways, folks. <laughs> take a step away, stretch, you know, do little twists, a little, ugh. And that way, you know, you can make sure you're ready for the next X hours of gaming. Yep. And uh, and the next improving engagement thing, I, I think you should should uh, comment on because because this is what you experienced <laughs> quite a bit, it sounds like. My my game had this some, but it sounds like you had, uh, had quite a few more, more issues as well as a way to deal with it. Yeah, so we, um, in, in both the game that I ran and the game that I played, there was a lot of cross-talking, like a lot of people trying to talk over one another. Uh, I, I attribute a portion of that to the fact that, again, very, well, players that didn't know each other, right? So strangers. So those dynamics are still very mm-hmm. new, very fresh. 
Um, you know, I think, you know, when it's, you're playing with a, a group of people that you know, and you guys have been playing for a while, you kind of have an understanding of, of usually how you guys converse and strategize. So you don't have that when you have a, a group of new players who are new to you and new to each other. So there's a lot of people talking over one another and everyone's getting excited. One of the groups had like a 13 year old who was really cute, but like you could tell so excited and just anytime he had the chance, he would interject. Um, but it was kind of cute cause he was like a walking encyclopedia of D and D. So, um, <laughs> but so we, the game that I played, um, had, it was like, okay, if you want to speak, you have to say, Hey DM before you say what you want to say. So whoever says that catchphrase first is the person that I'm going to be listening to for what it is they would like to do. So I kind of piggybacked off of that and sort of did that in my game. And it did definitely help minimize it. But I would say that like we didn't really fall into a rhythm until about halfway through the game when everyone was finally actively listening for the person that was going to say it first. And that's, I think, something important to keep in mind is that your first experience running and and or playing a game on Roll20 is probably going to have some challenges, uh, but if you if mm. you keep on doing it uh, on a regular basis, then those challenges start to kind of fade away because you get used to it. You get used to how to interact with people on there, and so the experience I think becomes better the mm-hmm. longer that you do it. Yeah, it was definitely chaotic at first, um, <laughs> especially <laughs> when you have like a lot of like say Type A personalities. Um, Cause you know, especially with new players, like you're not really sure what you're going to get. <laughs> um, but ultimately it was fun and it was a good learning lesson. So, I mean, I would be willing to try it again. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, even just listening to us record this podcast remotely, we've had a couple of instances where we've, we've talked over each other a little bit and had to back off a little bit <laughs> just because we're not in the same room and we don't have some of the visual cues that yeah. we're maybe used to. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, thumbs up, a high five. <laughs> we're, we're high-fiving all the time on the show. All the time. Y'all don't even know. <laughs> um, so I think, I think that's good for improving engagement. Maybe, maybe we talk mm. about, we've been really talking largely about when you're moving your in-person game over to a virtual environment. But there, there may be people out there that, that can't do that because maybe players uh, work in the medical industry and their schedule has now been all shot to hell. And so they can't make a, a regular game or, mm-hmm. or again, maybe some of their players don't have the devices that they need to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, so you may be looking at creating a new game or joining a game uh, with a bunch of people that you don't know. Yeah. Uh, so any suggestions for that? Felicia, you've done that more than I have. <laughs> yeah. So when I initially joined, um, I wanted to see what the player experience was like first. Um, so I, you know, I went into Roll Twenty and I just kind of dived right in and just sort of was looking for what popped up. And so I, I realized very quickly that um, there are different types of groups. You know, there are some that welcome new members. There are some that don't. Um, there are some that are pay to play. Um, which I'm sure the quality of those gaming experiences must be a lot better if you are paying to play. Um, Some are just little one-session campaigns. Some are multi-sessions, like, you know, um, DMs that are looking for players that are willing to commit for the long term. So there was a lot of different options to choose from. Ultimately, um, I had, I want to say the first time I went in, I applied 
for maybe five different groups and I didn't hear back from any of them. And I was just like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I was like one of the first ones to say that I was interested to play. And that was my misunderstanding that, you know, when it comes to applying for a game, mm-hmm. I had thought that it was just first come, first serve. Like, hey, this sounds like a fun game. I'd like to jump in. It didn't occur to me until I started doing more research and good old Google let me know um, that when it comes to um, applying for campaigns in Roll20 that you actually really have to sell yourself. Like, you have to say, like... You can't just be you. (laughs) You cannot just be good old you. Um, I mean, you have to really say, like, what kind of player you are and how you would contribute to the group. And, you know, if you have a character that you'd like to talk about, it's like their whole backstory. Um, Some applications have, like, a uh, kind of a format Uh, like a template that they want you to fill out. And I I just didn't know that. Um, And when I looked down on the local discussions, I had realized that a lot of the games um, had a discussion, like a topics that you, like, you know, in the topics, say like applications, and that's where everyone applied. And I would see some campaigns that had like 10 people apply, 30 people apply, 52 people apply. Uh, And, you know, the group was only for like six people. So out of those 52, only six would get a, a PM that said, hey, you know, we'll accept you into the group. So mm-hmm. I didn't understand that culture. Um, and that was that was good for me to learn as a player. Um, so, you know, when then it came for me as a DM, and I was kind of looking up on Google as well, like, you know, as a DM, how do you choose players on Roll20? Like, what's kind of a good status quo, a good standard? Um, you know, and so they were giving some good tips, like, you know, people that are willing to take time to create quality profiles are usually the type of people that like, you know, are ones that you want to maybe invest a little more time in and looking into versus ones that just pop up five minutes before the game starts and are like, Hey, I'd like to play. Yeah. And, and the thing to keep in mind is, is a lot of DMs are going to treat it similar to the way that they would treat an in-person game. Mm-hmm. If you've got a, a group of people that have been playing together for months, years, whatever, and there's a spot that opens up, they're not just going to take the first person, typically, that that says, "Hey, I want to play D and D." They're going to have they're, yeah. they're going to have some <laughs> some requirements that they're hoping to fulfill. And sometimes, and I, I've heard of some people doing this. I haven't experienced it myself, but sometimes they'll have an interview process. So where you get on a Discord yeah. call and, and they ask you some questions and see if you are a fit for the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's I don't know why, it just never really occurred to me. I, you know, I've my only experience has always ever been just, you know, in meetup, you know, when someone's like, hey, you know, I'd like to get a group together. And you're just like, yep. yeah, I'd like to join. And so I guess I had that mentality. Uh, and I guess I was just, so naive about the whole process. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit more selective just because since it's online, there are yeah. a lot more people. You're not limited by physical geography. So yes. you can have hundreds of people yeah. apply for a game potentially and 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 then you have to whittle it down. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, and you know, on the flip side when I um when I went ahead and created my own campaign and and like I told you, I forgot to untake that whole welcome new member filter. Uh, I also experienced a yet another reminder of how that process works from the other side. And, 
it was kind of cool as a DM kind of scrolling through and sort of seeing a lot of people's, just so many different types of people. Um, and it was kind of cool, like sort of just choosing like the selective group that you wanted to create for that particular campaign. And, and I could definitely appreciate it then from the DM's perspective of why it is that it's not just first come first serve. It's, you know, how you, like you were saying, selectively pick the right fit for your campaign. It's like being the captain of your own dodgeball team. <laughs> A perfect analogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anything else that we want to talk about with, uh, with regards to hosting and joining new groups? Uh, or, or are we ready to, to move on? Um, well, I think just the last thoughts on that is just, um, you know, when, when it comes to creating campaigns, um, you know, characters obviously are the biggest thing. Um, you know, the application process, like I say, some people describe the characters that they play and the character that they would like to have join that campaign. So I think you had mentioned about how you created character sheets with your mm-hmm. players. Um, the one I experienced, the murder mystery he had character sheets made ahead of time and then he could just do the little drop down and select which character you were going to play. So, um, which I I think kind of expedited the process. So I think as a DM, if you're going to be doing a campaign for players you've never played with before is just for you to kind of logistically decide how you're going to implement actual characters. Are you going to create them ahead of time or are you going to try and create them with the people whose applications you've approved? Yeah, and bear in mind that that a lot of the concern around character creation uh, that that maybe you have for an in-person thing is there in the virtual r- mm. world as well. Did they really roll this number? Yeah. And since you can't physically be there to, to watch them, uh, it it may you may decide, hey, I'm just going to build the characters, or you may say, hey, we're going to have a session on roll twenty, and mm-hmm. you'll roll the virtual dice, and we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, a virtual session zero. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but moving on, the, the last thing that we really wanted to talk about with regards to these these uh, virtual tabletop sessions is prep, prep, prep. Uh, yes, prepare. Yeah, I think that I think that I found that I spent a lot more time prepping for a virtual game than I do for an in-person game, even though I use a an in-person virtual tabletop in my sessions mm-hmm. and. And part of that is just just a matter of the the feasibility of doing ad hoc drawings if somebody goes a different way. So yes. I uploaded and configured a lot more maps as part of my prep for the for the online game than I would normally do because I know that if mm-hmm. if they went away I wasn't planned for I could I could at the at at the farthest end of the scale I could whip out the the grid yeah. grid uh, map board and do dry or wet erase markers and draw it out. Or I could very quickly use a software to do it. Uh, And I didn't feel like that that was a comfortable thing to do with everybody virtually there. Yeah. And, and for me, I think I was fortunate. I, so I, again, I just piggybacked off of the game that I had played as a player and that he had already had the map of the entire mansion. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think there was a feature on roll 20 where like you can actually put some of the areas and shadows so that like not all of it's visible yep they have a uh, fog um, of war if you do yep. yeah um but all you know i the guy that the gentleman that did the game that i played just had a pdf like image of what his map was um so i kind of just or maybe it was a jpeg but anyways it was just a image of the map and i just kind of 
piggybacked on that because I had a map of an elven tomb campaign that I had run, like one of the first campaigns that I had ever created. Mm-hmm. And I had a map had already created for that as well. So I just did the same thing, uploaded the image of that map. And that was just what we put all the tokens on. But the entire map was visible because I was just really keeping it limited to like the amount of like, you know, tools and features that I was utilizing. Um, I didn't want to overcomplicate things. So, um, you know, that was something that like I, I just ended up doing. So I guess, you know, when it came to ad hocking, I, in that respect for me, wasn't as much of an issue because the whole map was visible and they could only go where the map was, you know? So many places. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and another area to prep is, is to give that guidance to players. We've, we've talked about it a little bit already uh, about making sure that you get your players in early. You kind of make yeah. sure they're familiar yes. with the interface, uh, but also making sure that they're familiar with what you will and won't accept as part of your virtual game. There are some games that I've seen on mm. Roll20 where they just um, use Roll20 for the map and they roll physical dice just like if they were in person and the and everybody mm-hmm. does a, does that and all the numbers are trusted and, and it's good. And if you trust your players, that's that's perfectly fine way to do it. Yeah. Um, some use uh, a Discord dice bot to do those rolls rather than doing it in Roll20. It really depends on how you want to set it up, but mm-hmm. making sure your players are prepped for whatever way you go about doing it before you get to the game. And and I think the, uh, the other thing that um, the DM that I played the game with, he also had um, one rec- or one, one stat uh, standard that if you were to create your own player, that everyone had to start at level 10. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And I was like, wait, are we sure? Like, <laughs> level 10, that's some awfully high numbers. Uh, and he was like, yes, create your character, you know, at level 10. And so that's exactly what we had to... And I, I had yet to work my individual character up to that high of a, of a level. So um, I had to do some very last-minute reading on what it <laughs> took for my bard to be a level 10 bard. Um but uh, yeah, so you know, if there's a if there's a minimum standard um, of like you know where your characters have to be if they have to start at a certain level, if warlocks aren't a- allowed um, in this particular world, magic wasn't a thing. So you know, even bard, obviously there's some magic involved, but I couldn't utilize any of those aspects of a bard because there was no magic in this particular world. So some of the same rules that you would apply mm-hmm. in your regular campaign. Yeah, again, that just goes back to the whole like session zero mm-hmm. kind of discussion yep, as exactly. well. Exactly, very very crammed all into the same session. Well, um, I think that's really all we had to discuss today. Uh, thank you for joining us yeah. as we uh, weather out the storm, so to speak. <laughs> we will keep going on, but until next time, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We really enjoy making the show, and we like it even better when more people listen. So please take a moment to share the podcast with someone, a friend, a loved one, that telemarketer that just called. Any way you can help get the word out would be a big help. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.